Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, Steve McDonald. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Calvary Church and episode two of our brand new series, Come and See, as we journey towards Easter together. Now, hot off the presses are our Easter invitations on all the seats here in the auditorium today. And if you're watching the broadcast from home or anywhere else in the world, uh, we can get some to you. But if you're here in the area, stop by the office, pick up as many as you need, and the rest of you can make use of our social media and share it with a friend so that we can believe for great things for our Easter celebration this year. Now, our series will continue to look at Jesus. We'll look at his interaction with people during his time here on earth. Now, for the skeptic and seeker, we talked about last week, it means to come and think, to come and examine the evidence and to eventually experience the hope of Christ. And for the Christ follower, come and see means to, to come deeper, to become a disciple, to continue to grow. It's really a call uh, to faith that trusts him for every moment of our day and our lives because of salvation. And it's a call to the kind of life that's empowered by his spirit. And our lives are changed by the same power that Jesus displayed as he walked the earth. So that you and I, in turn, can turn and, and invite others to come and see and experience what we've experienced, to experience it for themselves. Now, over the five weeks that we'll be spending together, most of our time will be spent kind of grounded here in the book of John. And John's teaching, this firsthand account, was, was given to provoke faith in Christ, that you may believe, or that you may continue to believe. So John's focus was probably on unbelievers, that they would come to faith in Christ. But it was also to provide strength for those who were new to their faith, who needed to, to grow and to develop. You know, when I first heard the gospel, I was in my teens, and it was kind of explained to me in terms of what I saw happening in my mother's life. She had given her heart to the Lord and was acting a little different than I was accustomed to seeing, and, and so I began to hear terms that uh, I was unfamiliar with. And my father began to, to also uh, step out on this journey as he was trying to figure it all out for himself. And so I, hear, I could hear them talking to other people, but talking about their own experience and using terms like saved or born again. Now, honestly, I didn't think I really needed to be saved from anything at that time in my life, let alone being born again. It just seemed a little creepy to me. And, and so I was trying to figure out what was happening because I could see that there was some change taking place in their lives. And it was change for the better. It was almost like they were becoming better versions of themselves. Now, they were by no means perfect, but what I saw in them was people that were more loving, more hopeful, more filled with purpose. And that was different than what I had seen before. And they were also 
uh, growing and improving in their marriage, which, you know, is a wonderful thing. But at the time, for my sister and I, it was actually a little annoying (laughs) because their communication was improving. And so they were sharing their feelings more, and they were trying to get my sister and I to also share our feelings and talk more. Now, in my, in my teens at that point, it was not at the top of my list to share my feelings. Usually when they started talking like that, I would find some, I need, I need to go, I need to be anywhere than in, than in this room sharing my, my feelings and talking to you. And so... In time, I would grow to greatly value that. It improved everything that was happening in our lives. But I started to kind of align the terms that I was hearing with what I was experiencing in our family. I could see those wonderful changes that that have lasted uh, for our lifetime, which was an incredible thing. Now, when I spent more time with them, I realized that that this wasn't just a kind of a fly-by-night passing situation. They didn't just join the, the Jesus fan club. They truly were Jesus followers. And they endeavored, even through their, their ups and downs, to grow in him. And I think some people today think that, that being a Christian has everything to do with going to church. And going to church is wonderful, and that's a part of it. But that's not all of it. I was one of those people. I thought, well, if I go to this place, it makes me that kind of a a person. I must be a Christian. But the truth is, there's many people today that claim to be born again that still have an understanding that, that if they or other people are good enough people, that somehow they would earn them themselves a spot in heaven, that I'll get some prime real estate right out inside the pearly gates as long as we're just good people. But like the teenage version of me and those who have that misunderstanding, I think most don't truly understand what it means to be born again. And it was obviously important because Jesus said it was. John 3 verse 7 He says, you must be born again. Now, that's strong language. You must. That's a non-negotiable term. And Jesus spoke these words to a man named Nicodemus, who is our focus today. Now, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. And when we hear the word Pharisee, we usually identify with them as being kind of the, the bad guys in relation to, to Jesus because he had some pretty choice things to say about them. And they had some pretty choice things to say about him as well. Now, among other things, he called them whitewashed tombs. He's like, you're like a box of bones or a a container full of death. I mean, these are pretty strong words. He talked about how they often majored on the minors, how they focused on the external instead of the eternal. And how most of the time they just ended up getting it wrong. They missed the point. But Nicodemus seemed different. John's gospel indicates that he had a a great respect for Jesus. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, last week in episode one, I showed you a scene from a a show called The Chosen, a great multi-season series about the life of Christ 
and his disciples from Angel Studios. And we, we got a glimpse at what maybe that moment looked like between Philip and Nathaniel when he led Nathaniel to Jesus, despite Nathaniel's skepticism. And his simple response is really the inspiration and the, the, the grounding term for this series, come and see. Let's go together. Let's grow together. Let's follow him together. He wasn't just pointing him in the right direction. He was saying, man, let's do this together. Let's live our lives in this way. So today I want to show you another clip from The Chosen, uh, also used with permission of what this powerful conversation may have looked like between Jesus and Nicodemus, this devout, religious, well-educated man who was likely very well-known was still missing something in his life. So he goes to Jesus by night, I think because he was afraid of being seen by others and what people might say. But the main thing is he still goes to meet with Jesus with the questions that he was struggling with in his heart. So let's look at that clip together. Now, to truly appreciate the significance of this conversation, I think we need to understand the Pharisees a little bit more. Despite their negative reputation, they were actually a pretty admirable group of individuals, at least when it came to the effort uh, that they put in, never numbering more than 6,000 of them. Each of them took a solemn vow before three witnesses to devote every moment of their life to obeying the Ten Commandments. Now, that's a pretty tall order. Not that any of them were successful, but it was what they attempted to do. In other words, they took the, God's law very seriously. Again, Jesus is not looking for you and I to smash that like button and, and sign up and subscribe to his channel. He's not looking for more admirers. Jesus is looking for something that's deeper. He doesn't just want us to admire him. And in his time, he said some pretty radical things, some life-changing, life-altering statements that, that still challenge us, us today to think and to, to determine how we're going to respond. John 3.3, 3, he says to Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's that word again, born again. Greg Laurie once said, and I love how he termed it, he said, unfortunately, the term born again has been pirated, emptied of its meaning, dragged through the gutter, and given back to us minus its power. Today, when people tell us they are born again, we're not even sure what they mean. But Jesus here was saying, listen, here's Here's what it is, Nicodemus. Your religious beliefs are not enough. In spite of the fact that you're a big dog in, in, in your religion and you've got this power, it actually means nothing. It hasn't brought you any closer to heaven. And Nicodemus was evidently working through all of this in his mind because he said in verse 4, he says, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I, I don't get it. How, 
how can I change? How can I be born again? And then in verse 5 and then down to 8, Jesus answered and said, Very truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, people might come up to you and, and say, you know what, when you're talking to them about Jesus, I, I won't believe unless I can actually see it. That's like saying I don't believe in hurricanes because I can't see them. We see their effects, but I can't really see them. You know, years ago, I was traveling to a conference in the States with Pastor Mark and Pastor Vince and, and Kurt, and we were there together, I think, out for dinner, and we heard these hurricane uh, warnings on the, on the radio and on the television at the, the restaurant. Now, we're not accustomed to hurricanes rolling through town, so, so it was something that we wondered, you know, is this real or, or isn't it? Uh, because we had planned to go somewhere afterwards, kind of the next town over, to look around. But we opted to err on the side of safety. Thank the Lord we did. Because as we finished our dinner, we could see things kind of starting to, to blow past the window. And so we, we immediately went after that and kind of took refuge and bunkered down at the hotel that we were staying with. And that night, the wind drove down with the rain. You could see things, debris flying around. You could feel the window shaking. And it was the first time I've ever seen horizontal chain lightning across the sky. It was unbelievable to see. But it was serious. That hurricane had came to that region with, with incredible power and with incredible might. Now, whether or not we believed in hurricanes or not, it didn't stop that hurricane from tearing up trees and, and damaging things in its path, including destroying buildings and even leveling a McDonald's. I mean, they showed it the next day and it was nothing but debris. As a matter of fact, later the next day, they declared a state of emergency. The president rolled into town to, to visit the area. And that's the same area that we had planned to visit the night before. But whether or not we denied the fact that it exists, it, it surely did. In the same way, I, I can't show you God. I can't say, come with me and see with your own eyes, and that you can just see him. But I can say, come and see him at work in the lives of people just like you and me. I can show you the effect of God's work. Today, there's evidence all around us of those who have had their lives completely transformed by Christ. So come and see. Come and see what God is doing. But Nicodemus still wanted Jesus to kind of to break it down more. He still had questions. In verse 9, he says, how can this be? He basically said, I, I need to understand. And then Jesus made a statement that many of you have memorized over the years. It's the gospel in a nutshell. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, maybe you can identify and relate to Nicodemus. Maybe you're well-educated. Maybe you're a moral person, a religious person. Maybe you're very successful. Maybe you've even had a certain measure of fame in your lifetime. But you need to be thinking more about how God sees you. 
Because someday you will stand before him without your friends, without your co-workers, without your family. You'll stand alone before God. And maybe you have a great respect for, for Jesus as a historical figure. Or even the greatest teacher of all time. You know, he didn't say, admire me. Jesus doesn't need any secret admirers. He said, follow me. Follow me. He's looking for followers. Come and see and follow me. And a lot of people today still see God as some kind of a cosmic killjoy that's out to rain on our parade. But that's not what Jesus said he came to do. In John 10.10, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to this. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Or another translation says to have life more abundant. God's plans for you and your family are, are, are for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You and I were created to know him. And his plans for you are so much better than you could ever imagine or hope for in your own life. Come and commit your life to him and see what he has for you. Now, if we want to be effective, especially as we continue to to reach out to others in Jesus' name, we need the master to mentor us, right? I think we would all agree. And in chapters 3 and 4 of the Gospel of John, we find the perfect setting to learn from Jesus, the ultimate evangelistic leader. Jesus encounters two radically different people. In chapter 3, it's the the wealthy, powerful, educated, influential Jewish leader that we're talking about today, Nicodemus. In chapter 4, which we'll talk about in more detail next week, he encounters the, the powerless and thirsty Samaritan woman. But in both, you see his heart and his love for them to understand who he truly is and to be changed by his power. So let me give you some evangelism, kind of effective evangelism takeaways from Jesus as he encounters Nicodemus. The first thing that, that we need to do is to start where people are. You know, Nicodemus came seeking Jesus under the cover of darkness. It's important to note that Jesus didn't turn him away. Man, it's very inconvenient that you're coming after office hours. You need to, you need to go home, make an appointment, come back and see me tomorrow. No. We need to be ready to share the love and message of Jesus when people are ready and when the Holy Spirit opens the door, not just when it's convenient to us. We need to be ready to meet people where they are and then to to walk with them towards Jesus. You know, anytime I talk about meeting people where they are, I'm taken back in time and and I remember my neighbor just after 9-11. After the the horrifying images on television, it seemed like the, the, the days to follow people were walking around numb, not knowing what to say or what to do. And I was in the front yard, and Susan said to me, hey, come here. And I, I went, came up to the door, and she said, I think you need to go and talk to her. She, she, she's looking, you know, not good. And I looked right across the street, directly across from us, and our neighbor was standing in the door with kind of this 
glazed, terrified look on her face. And she was just staring at our house. And so I walked over and I said, hey, are you okay? And she just started to tear up and she said, no, no, I'm not. I, I, I just, after seeing all of this, I'm, I'm just so fearful of what could happen to me and my, my grandchildren. How random is this that, 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 that something like this has happened? And a, a meteor could fall out of the sky and we could all be gone. And I said, it's pretty serious. I, I understand. I said, do you want to come over and, and talk about it? She said, sure. So she walked across the street, came into the living room, and Susan and I sat down with her. And she began to ask us about how we kind of process these, these events and how do we deal with fear. And we began to share the gospel with her. And within a short period of time there in my living room, we had the opportunity to lead her to Jesus. She was born again. She, she became a, a Christ follower. But it was because of this, this horrific moment that we made ourselves available to help her process the things that she was feeling. And that's important that we do that. You know, Nicodemus, he he was a religious leader, but he was hungry and curious. He had questions. He was spiritually open in this moment. And, and Jesus was perfectly comfortable kind of starting with what was on his mind, not having his own agenda and saying, well, let me just pull this out. These are the steps I need to walk you through. No, right in that moment, he, he was listening. Sometimes we need to, 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 to work on the fine art of listening to people. He heard what, what Nicodemus was saying. And that's so important because sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to slow down long enough to, to do that. And he didn't just hear what was on his mind. He heard what was on his heart. Like we were listening to our neighbor to go, what, what is it that's going on in your life right now? And it was from that moment, that incredible moment of need and searching for an answer that she met the Savior. Second thing that we need to do is to, to love people for who they are. You know, it's impossible to read this account and not sense the genuine love that Jesus had for Nicodemus. He longed for his spiritual eyes to, to be opened, and he desperately wanted Nicodemus to be born again and to move from, from this experience of empty religion to a real, authentic relationship with God. In other words, come and see what I know. John 3, 11, and then down to verse 15, Jesus said, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, that everyone who believes will have eternal life. You know, all of our evangelistic efforts must be driven by a love for God and for the people that he sent his son to die for. Third thing that we need to do is to, to listen to people before you speak. Jesus sat, and again, listened to the words and to the heart of Nicodemus. He had important questions that he needed to work through with Jesus. And Jesus not only listened to him, he heard them. Sometimes we're listening to people, but we're not hearing them. I think as husbands, we're we're probably in that category quite a bit where we can hear the words, but we're not, or we can listen to the words, but we're not always hearing the words. And that's very important. Sometimes we need to say more by saying less. And as you, 
you and I invite people to come and to see. Uh, we need to help them move towards God. And in order to do that, we need to listen. We need to invite questions and really hear what people are wondering about. Stop trying to answer questions that people aren't asking. Listen to them. Take time to relationally make that connection. Focus listening is absolutely essential when it comes to effective evangelism. And Jesus, he, he modeled that for us. We can be mentored by the master in this way because his life was all about it. And then finally, number four, we need to watch for, for growth in people's lives. You know, Nicodemus became a Christ follower and was even present uh, after the crucifixion, helping to prepare Jesus' body for burial. He grew in his faith. It continued on. So we need to not just pray for lives to be changed, but pray for a lasting, sustained work. And you know what? That work takes time. Sometimes it can take a lifetime. Derwin L. Gray, who's former NFL player and now pastor, says, being born again happens in an instant. Learning to live as a child of God, it takes a lifetime. You know, when we reach out relationally, as Jesus did, the Holy Spirit will move in power. Jesus will draw people to himself, and God will be glorified as they come and they grow. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit at work within our lives. I pray that we would be mentored by the Master, that we would listen to you, Lord, so that you would help us to, to meet people where they are, to love them for who they are, to be in a place, Lord Jesus, where, where we, we listen and we hear people, and that ultimately we are involved in their lives as they continue to grow. I pray that you would help us to to take